the free for all roundtable round two on the roundtable this morning, let's say good morning to Lindsay Broadhead, Senior Vice President of the Toronto Region Board of Trade, uh, Principal at BroadwayStrategy.com, the guy behind Touchdowns and Fumbles, Bob Reed, and Max Valiquet, Advertising and Media Guy. Happy Wednesday to you all. Let's start with uh, the situation. It seems we're in crunch time now. Bob Reed, I know you have experience in uh, with the, uh, working with the provincial government. Uh, how crucial do you think things are today? if there's to be any hope of a settlement and cancelling Friday's strike. I think today is a pivotal day for uh, reasons that have been have been well outlined. We're seeing some movement. There's uh, there's word that uh, the government has presented a new offer for consideration. The mediators shuttling back and forth between uh, uh, between the the, the different uh, encampments at the Sheraton Centre Hotel. So uh, all eyes on what's happening today, as uh, as as well. It's- should be. Uh, I think if we are going to see any legitimate movement, that today will be the day. And I think uh, it's going to be very interesting to see the union's reaction to this latest offer because they're saying they want to negotiate in good faith. So if they're being presented with uh, what uh, we we hope will be a reasonable counteroffer, then the ball is in their court. So uh, uh, there's going to be a lot to keep an eye on today. Well, in Lindsay Broadhead, the stakes are pretty high because it's not just schools that are going to be disrupted on Friday. A lot of parents aren't going to be able to go to work because somebody's got to look after the kids. Well, that's right. I mean, we lived this out in a two-year Petri dish test, and uh, it's hard. It's hard being a parent when you don't know what's going to happen. It's it's difficult when uh, you don't have childcare and to balance it with work. In some cases, it's impossible. Um, so it, we need to get this right. I, um, I'm very sympathetic to teachers, ECEs. They're uh, essential, uh, and I think the need for them is going to, we know, in fact, that the need for them is only going to increase with uh, the passing of the early learning child care program that went through. Um, but at the same time, we can't keep cycling uh, this this over and over again. Uh, this is on repeat, it seems. Uh, we need to come to a solution. Max Valaket, an awful lot of the contributors and show hosts here tend to be not entirely favorable to unions. So I was somewhat surprised, I guess, when the bell jar was lifted yesterday and I saw how many parents are actually on the side of the workers. Yeah, I mean, it it has been a tough couple of years, as everyone has mentioned. And I think probably this the there's there's going to be a shift in sentiment here, because remember, we have the minister of, you know, I promise to do everything we can to help our students catch up. And he couldn't go two full months without having a, a, a. a, a day off of school under his watch. Right. And there was a two hundred and fifty dollar payment to parents to help them help their kids catch up. But as you mentioned, John, if you're not working on Friday, and let's say you just make minimum wage and you've got to stay home, half of that is already gone within a, a month and a half of receiving it or a month of receiving it. So I, I think maybe people are starting to also get a little wise to that this is a government that says one thing about education, but does another entirely. And we're frustrated as parents and we need our kids back in school and we need our leaders to actually lead. And they're not doing that. We get to this business of the invocation of the notwithstanding clause, and yesterday Justin Trudeau had this to say about it. Using the notwithstanding clause to suspend workers' rights um, is wrong. I know that, that 
collective bargaining negotiations are sometimes difficult, but it has to happen. It has to be done in a respectful, thoughtful way at the bargaining table. Uh, the suspension of people's rights is something that you should only do in the most exceptional circumstances, and I really hope that uh, all politicians call out the uh, overuse of the notwithstanding clause to suspend people's rights and freedoms. Uh, meanwhile, Labour Minister Seamus O'Regan tweeting, workers have the freedom to strike. It is protected by the Charter. Using the notwithstanding clause to suspend workers' rights is an affront to democracy. Lindsay Broadhead, it's kind of a convenient position for the Prime Minister to be in because he appears to be standing up for the Charter and fundamental rights, but he doesn't have any real skin in this particular Labour conflict, so he can kind of poke Ontario and poke uh, you know, Doug Ford without actually having to resort to this sort of a power, perhaps at some point in his own labor dispute. Yeah, it, it's a safe, uh, a safe call for him. Um, it, it's I don't think he wants to go or should go too far down uh, the rabbit hole of this argument. Um, you know, standing up for the charter is something that's being tested and in, in different ways right now. So let's, you know, it's good that he, he lays that foundation. And he makes a very good point. You know, it, it, it where it does interest him, of course, is for liberal parties, more broadly speaking, both at the provincial and federal level, that have historically had strong connections to uh, labor. And in Ontario, we saw a shift in the last election. So there, there is a bit of a, a uh, philosophical battle going on around where does labor sit politically um, and also alignment of different unions. So, uh, you know, depending on how today uh, plays out, I, I agree with with Bob, I think today's an essential day, depending on how today plays out, we could see an elevation of voices of different unions um, and this becoming more politicized. Yeah, Bob Reed, your thoughts? Well, I, I think uh, uh, I, I think we've got to keep two things in mind when listening to the Prime Minister's comments. One is, uh, here he is warning about the danger of suspending uh, people's rights when uh, we're, it's against the backdrop of the federal inquiries uh, investigation uh, about uh, about the use of the uh, of, of the Emergencies Act, which many would argue did exactly that. Uh, and secondly, uh, let's also remember that he's got an accord with the NDP right now. So of course he's going to make any pronouncement he can uh, about uh, how sacrosanct uh, workers' rights are. So both of those things, uh, I think, need to be factored in. Okay. And Max, last word on this file. Is it too clever by half, the uh, position the cabinet minister and the prime minister have taken? No, I mean, I think they're saying exactly what they have to say. I think equating this to the Emergencies Act is a kind of false equivalency. I don't think that there's going to be a an inquiry after if if the provincial government were to use this, I can't see a kind of inquiry after that determines whether or not it needed to be used with people testifying and all that. My larger concern is that the notwithstanding clause ends up being a uh, used like Tinder by provincial governments to swipe left on pieces of legislation they don't like or to resolve conflicts that they can't otherwise resolve. I do think there is something really important about keeping workers' rights sacrosanct, and this is not a good use of the notwithstanding clause. Okay, here's a chance for everybody to tell me I'm wrong on this next file. And that would be my abiding fear that my favorite golf course, which is nine holes and tucked away in a hidden valley at Eglinton and the Don Valley Parkway, is going to be turned into a combination park and uh, property development. Uh, Max, actually, I'll start with you on this one. Um, I think it's very easy to talk about you know, uh, ending a golf course because everybody thinks everybody who goes to a golf course is spoiled. But every city needs its recreation, and it just happens that golf courses is one form of that. 
Yeah, uh, of course. And we're going to be facing the battle over uh, this one resource that we simply don't have an infinite amount of, and that is land. And the problem with a golf course is that it takes up an awful lot of it. I'm the last person to deny anyone's desire to have what, what do i call golf again it's a it's a, a lovely walk ruined i think someone once said so yes. uh you're uh you're 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 absolutely free to do that but we're we're just going to be seeing more of this because fundamentally golf courses do take up an awful lot of room and whilst i appreciate that we all have our hobbies that we like and some of them are great for the rest of the world and some of them may be worse environmentally golf is not super awesome right uses up an awful lot of water to maintain those courses and it's an awful lot of land as well so i i think we had better get used to it but i promise you john i promise there will always be golf courses within wait for it driving distance of wherever you are oh please um i'm sorry i couldn't i just i had to <laughs> bob reed uh, i'll turn to you next and gil penulosa who placed a distant second in the Merrillty race uh, effectively called golf courses an urban outrage yesterday, that there's no excuse for them. Well, and that that is a view that uh, that some share. I'm not a golfer, so I don't uh, I, I don't have uh, I don't have skin in, in this particular game. Um, but I am a, a, a huge uh, supporter and user of uh, of our public parks. And when when you have green spaces that are as idyllic and as as well situated as uh, as many golf courses are, uh, I think it's only natural that um, the, the 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 masses would look at those. And say, boy, I'd sure like to be able to use that space as well. Um, but let's also remember, this is a privately owned golf course. There's a development proposal that's being put forward. There's no obligation here for anything to change unless the owners of that private golf course decide that they want to cash out. Okay, let's keep moving because we're uh, clock is ticking and I want to get to a few other issues. Uh, Lindsay Broadhead, the Speaker of the House in Quebec, the Provincial House, has decided that at an MNA, which is what they call their uh, MPPs, that those members cannot be seated until they swear a public oath to King Charles III. Um, I think some people think this is just sort of noisome Quebec activism, but most of us are never going to be called upon to make this pledge. And I would find myself feeling like I was in the Pirates of Penzance if I had to swear. <laughs> wear an oath to King Charles III. Yes, uh, I, I agree. I think this is a one of those things that will be put in the bucket of a noble cause. Um, and there is no pun intended in that one. Right now, we, uh, you know, our, our constitution um, is as it is. Um, so I do think it's right that they not be allowed in. However, um, I... <sighs> It's hard to imagine that um, how we are currently constituted and what is required is going to continue. Um, I think the death of, uh, of our, our queen was a death of um, our, our current relationship uh, with, with England and things are gonna change for any number of reasons, uh, especially on the, the social uh, sector yeah. here and our connection to indigenous communities, uh, uh, as well as any number of other um, uh, kind of more social causes. I, I think Canada has to change its uh, relationship with the Crown, but it's gonna be slow. So they're gonna, the protest is going to be well worth it. And Max Valakhet, I find myself wondering if these people, ultimately, if they have to swear this oath, they're just going to cross their fingers and keep their hand behind their, their back. I mean, John, I'm now trying to work out the lyrics for the very model of a modern Assemblée Générale, but I can't, I can't <laughs> quite do it. I think that, uh, it, you know, it's, it, it, it is fundamentally a lot of pomp and circumstance. And I, I like what you said off the top, that 
if you were ever asked to do this, which you're right, most of us won't be, how would we actually feel about it? And so you're being asked to swear an oath to something that you fundamentally don't believe in. I think there's a, a legitimate issue there. For the longest time, remember, people swore an oath on the Bible uh, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But eventually, we determined that people could swear on the book of their choosing or not on a book if they didn't want to. So I think an oath to serve the people that is directed towards a king is a little antiquated to begin with, and we should be reinvestigating this one for sure. Uh, Bob Reed, final thoughts and just 60 seconds on the clock here. This is the first uh, of the inevitable friction points that we're going to see now in yeah. the wake of the death of, of Queen Elizabeth, because everybody involved in this debate has only known her as the monarch, and that's the way it's always been. Now we're we're in a different uh, a different point in time, and these questions are going to continue to be raised as we move forward. Thank you all. Good to have you. Lively discussion on round two. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845, weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.